0: Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association of North America's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nelly with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Tim Hewitt. Dr. Hewitt is a consultant for Hewitt Consulting and was an author on the infographic entitled Is There Value in Validity for the Use of Return to Sport Test Batteries After Anterior Cruciate Ligament Injury and Reconstruction which was published in the June 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal Dr. Hewitt's co-author was Dr. Kate Webster Dr. Hewitt thank you for joining me today It's my pleasure Let's start just kind of with the basics that you guys illustrated with the infographic. Some of the maybe some of the background um, for for doing the infographic, and then some of the basic uh, findings and results that you guys came to.
1: Yeah, so a few years ago, must be more than five years ago now. Dr. Webster was uh, a fellow uh, who was doing a sabbatical in my laboratory at Mayo Clinic, and we were working on a a large NIH grant because separately but together we found that in young, active individuals going back to sport after ACL reconstruction, risk of a second ACL tear, either the graft side or the contralateral side, was between a quarter and a third, and that was surprising. We published that work in in American Journal of Sports Medicine early on, 2010, 2011, 2012, and then very soon after that. Uh, Kate and Julian Webster in the group in Melbourne who see as many if not more ACL injuries a, a lot due to footy in in uh, Australia uh they they showed the exact same numbers we did basically at 1 year 29% and after that higher maybe uh, 35%. So very concerning and what we were trying to figure out is what can we do to decrease risk of these second tears? That that was the whole idea and basis for this. So Kate's assignment when she came into our lab was to do a meta-analysis and figure out what is the reliability, validity, efficacy of current return-to-sport testing protocols. There there were some relatively newer papers that said, oh, we kind of have this all figured out if you do this, this, and this you're going to have a lower risk of ACL tear. Well, when we put all the literature together in a meta-analysis and then at about the same time, Losial and the group out of Duke uh, published very soon after a a similar meta-analysis and we both found the same things. So first of all, the number, the percentage of people that pass these tests is actually quite low. It's, it's in the low 20 percent so we published 23 percent and uh allison tool who was in my lab when i was at ohio state based on our cincinnati children's database basically showed the same number so again consilience of data which is really important that's when you know data is valid when multiple labs in multiple different areas show the same thing and and basically that's what we saw so Utility is not great, obviously, when less than a quarter of people are passing these tests. Now, when we got into the data more deeply, what we saw was there was some efficacy to the test in that if you passed the test, if you were in that quarter that passed the return to sport testing, you had a higher chance of playing playing sport and return to sport at 12 and 24 months, which which is a good thing. However, when we looked at all the data in combination and Locial and, and the group there at Duke showed the same thing, there was no validity to prediction of a second tear. So in other words, if you passed the test, you did not have a decreased chance of a second ACL tear. So obviously the the goal of these tests is is threefold. One to help you return to sport, but also to return to sport safely, and then thirdly to return to the sport at the same level at, a, at the same level of performance. And what we showed was, first of all, very low percentage passing less than a quarter, and then the second thing we showed is there wasn't any predictive validity for predicting who was going to have a second ACL tear. So that, that second
0: criteria, returning to sport, to sport safely was, was not valid. That brings up a great question to me immediately. Why do you, why do you that, that 23% number, you know, is, is very low, like you said. And so uh, why do you think that that number, do you think that it is because we're doing the return to sport testing too soon or too early or very early? Or do you think it's because of the type of tests that we're doing and the battery of tests that we're doing um, and people, patients can't pass every single one of them or all together? What, what are the reasons for why you think that 23% number is what it is? So So multiple reasons. So most people are doing this
1: testing at six months, that that first kind of very, you know, visit this standard in kind of the the field. And that's when people say they're going to return to people, people to sport and they do this testing. And at six months, most people are not ready. And we we have a paper that I published with a student of mine, Chris Nageli. Uh, that that garnered a lot of tension where we questioned, is is six months the right point to do this? And we even questioned, maybe if you look at gain of neuromotor control, balance, proprioception, maybe you have to wait two years, which was kind of a tongue-in-cheek paper. However, there was a point to it. We knew people weren't going to wait 24 months. But we also knew that people weren't actually returning at six months either. And when you look at it, people at at 12 months, and this is the data out of Melbourne, Kate Webster's work and with Julian Feller. Basically, they show that only about half are returning at one year and only about two thirds are returning by two years to sport. So. That two-year idea is not that far-fetched when you start to actually look at the data. So combination of factors: too early, a six-month test. The majority of people are not ready to return to sport, and they most their their grasp is not well developed at that point, and they have lots of residual proprioceptive, neuromotor, strength deficits that that haven't resolved and aren't going to resolve for a while, somewhere between that six month time point and 24 months, and sometimes even beyond that. So that's a problem, it's too early. The tests, most of the tests, the basis are the hop tests, the, the four standardized hop tests, hop for distance, the, the crossover hop, the uh, the triple hop, and then the timed hop. and the other problem and we discussed this in multiple papers too is that what you have by doing multiple tests what you have is a penalty because if you have to pass all these tests if you don't pass one of them you, you don't pass and even if you you know take that in account if you if you've passed in the past there's still a penalty this multiple test penalty uh, if you have to pass all of them across the board, and you have multiple tests, and many of them incorporate five or six or more tests, and we talk about that in the tool paper in AJSM as well, this this penalty of multiple tests, so that's a that's a problem as well. And the the other reality is most of these go back. So I I'm from Cincinnati. I worked with the Cincinnati group that developed these tests. And they were empirically derived, but they really haven't been validated over the years. And what other people have done is just add other tests to it, like a a T-test or a questionnaire. And what that does is, again, brings a penalty along with it, this multiple testing penalty. And these batteries haven't been really validated. There have been a couple very small studies in groups of patients that for example have a lot of um allograft tissue in the in the group which can skew that in different ways depending on you, you know the comorbidities of, of taking a an autograph and so when we look at the data across the board the pass rate is very low now there's some people say some of these authors will say Oh, we get a hundred percent of our people to pass. Well, when you look at their data and you you actually dig down with a meta-analysis or uh, some other highly valid statistical technique, you you see that no, that's not the case. A hundred percent of people don't pass. So, right. multiple factors that that lead into this.
0: In your research and in your um, review of the, uh, the literature and in vast experience with this, do you think that there are certain individual tests that do have more value or more validity than others? I understand it's kind of difficult to sometimes test individual uh, return-to-sport testing portions as opposed to the battery as a whole, but do you think there are individual ones that may have more validity than others? Yes, I, I do. So we developed a drop-vertical-jump test that
1: we utilize the challenge with it though, is we do 3D motion analysis with force plates incorporated. So basically what we showed with that, and that does have validity for second injury prediction, is that on a drop vertical jump test, at, la- at the point of landing, when you hit the force plate, if you have a net hip internal rotation moment impulse, in other words, you're letting the ground Internally rotate your hips, adduct your femur, cause valgus at the hip and knee, have the hip and knee drop inward, but also have a differential quad to ham flexion extension moment ratio. In other words, one side is more quad dominant, the other side is more hamstring dominant. And if you have a stiffening strategy on an unbalanced force plate, in other words, you don't sense the joint very well, you have decreased proprioception, and you stiffen the joint, you have significantly higher risk. So what we showed with those four variables, we could predict a C statistic of about 94%. We could account for 94% of the variation and have greater than 90% sensitivity and specificity or who's going to go on to a second ACL injury. The challenge with this, though, is that it's it's full 3D motion analysis with force plates in a biomechanics lab. So most people don't have that ability to do that, or even if they have the ability, they're not going to do it due to time, expense, and other right. factors. So right. the, the, the hop test, you know, the single leg hop test has – well there there's some validity to its use and i think it's a good idea to incorporate it all four tests together probably are not required and some of them it, it depends different papers show different things like the the timed uh, test is not so great because it, it's not as reliable it's difficult to measure and there there are some issues with the triple hop test as well again, different studies, finding different things. But when you look at them all together, the combination of them isn't all that valid, especially for predicting safety of going back to sport. And looking at all four of those tests, it's not easy to pass all together at one time.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier, another one of the interesting things, piggybacking off of that, I think you mentioned earlier, was the the passing the Return to sport testing didn't necessarily result in a reduction in overall risk of subsequent ACL injury. I think that's a really interesting finding because I think maybe historically, or at least dogma, was kind of say, "Okay, get their return to sport testing, and if they pass, they're good to go, and they can play, and they shouldn't yeah. retear their ACL." Or at least we hope they don't retear their ACL. But the reality is, they do, or even more um, frequently, sometimes they they re or they tear their contralateral ACL. And so I think it's that's yeah. a that was a really interesting interesting finding i think maybe some of these studies that you've done and some others have changed the way that i think a lot of us use these type of these type of return to sport batteries because it used to maybe kind of be somewhat in that vein and now it maybe is sort of a more of a okay well let's see where they're at now and see how much more therapy or how much you know more we need to do before they actually truly are maybe getting closer to being ready to return to sport at the level or at the function where they were before but we're not going to tell them just because they're getting close it means they're never going to tear their acl again
1: yeah so so what we did is when we looked at all the data, we had the same finding as low C-alpha overall, so both large meta-analyses. Theirs was slightly different in their inclusionary, exclusionary criteria. They, they were more exclusionary, whereas we were more inclusionary. But the interesting thing is we had the exact same findings, obviously overlap of many of the same studies, but slight differences in which cohorts, which papers were included, exact same finding. Overall, no validity for predicting second injury. Now, Kate Webster, what she said was, well, we need to dive deeper into this. We need to look at the graft side, and we need to look at contralateral side. So, for example, our early studies in 2010 showed that females, for example, were at significantly higher risk of contralateral tears and webster's data showed that males tend to be be at higher risk of ipsilateral graft tears so we decided to funnel that down and look and see what was the difference on graft side well we got some good news on the graft side with return to sport testing protocols so what we're doing is odds ratios so we're comparing odds ratios just the graph side, what we showed was about a sixty percent reduction by odds ratio and risk of a graft tear passing a return to sport battery. However, this is the the paradox here is that if you look at compare odds ratios, what you see is a 235% increase risk of tearing the contralateral side. So that was very concerning and and that actually hit uh, the the New York Times. It was in the Sunday Health section of the New York Times, and this became because of that became very controversial. Uh, many people attacked the findings of our papers and demanded retractions from the from the journal and obviously, when the journal looked at it, our methods are extremely sound, extremely valid. Uh, we stand behind them in, in every way, and that's one of the reasons we did this infographic because we thought it was important to say this is what the data shows, and it's not just our data, either. The lowCL data showed the exact same effects, that slight uh, decrease in one side, it, it, no overall effect. And it's, but it appears that the contralateral side actually goes up. So that's, that is a paradox, and that's a big problem. Now, in our Cincinnati Children's cohort, it even becomes more paradoxical and more challenging because what you see is those, for example, in our drop vertical jump test that, that fail everything, that show those four factors that I'm talking about uh, on testing, you know, the, this valgus hip internal rotation, knee collapse. Uh, differential ham quad activation side to side, stiffening strategy on the grass side knee, they have about a third risk of having another ACL tear. The problem is there's another cohort of individuals who pass through everything relatively fast, relatively early, so these are the minority, these are the superstars, that that pass through everything, they get back early and they tear again early, very often on the grass side. The other group tends to tear more on the contralateral side. So, currently, we don't have the answers here. Now, again, the, the drop vertical jump test is a good test for predicting second risk, but you still have those two populations, the ones that show all those symptoms of risk that have about a quarter of a risk of another, or I'm sorry, a third of risk of another tear, and then the other one, it, that, that's a big problem, right? Because then you have this right. other cohort that passes through everything and ends up tearing as well. So again, the predictive validity right. of these combined tests is not very good because you have these two mixed populations
0: you're you're dealing with. That's right. Well, so let's summarize it. So should we should we be doing return to sport testing? And, and if so, should it be in those high risk populations that you just mentioned? Should we do it in everybody? Should it be on a case to case by case basis based on how their timing and recovery is going? What, what do you think based on everything you know and everything available in the literature? What, what should we be doing with return to sport testing clinically? Yes. Keep testing. Look for those that
1: look for those in the population that fail and look at them closely and use it in a timed longitudinal manner to look at where validity becomes greater and reliability comes greater is with repeated testing over time. Say about there was a recent paper that came out of the Virginia group that said you really shouldn't do it more than every two months because you don't get much change but you want to look at that that delta is what is important so the overall absolute values don't have a lot of predictive validity however if you look at change over time for example we recently published a couple papers on psych factors so using kate webster and julian feller's acl rsi index what we showed is on an absolute value basis, those that score below a 76 out of 100 are at a greater risk of a second ACL tear. But what you're really looking for is those that improve, that have a positive delta, that their score's going up over time and not staying the same or going down, because those that are going up have significantly lower risk of a second tear. So you want to look at that change over time, say every two months, post-operatively, keep testing, look at the change in the test score, look for positive change, and that's what's going to have more validity. Whether you're looking at that population that that really does poorly, you should expect positive change, but you also need to look at that other group, that very early on passes through everything because before they return to sport their confidence level their anxiety level may be very high and their anxiety may be very low they may be quite confident but then after they return to sport and they see how their knee knee feels and they don't feel like they're functioning as well as they thought they were going to they can get significantly more anxious less confident more fearful and then their risk will go up so again that delta that that's where i think these tests are useful multiple testing looking at change over time and looking for those individuals who are getting better and better and better and it you need to look at it even at the time of return to sport but even after they've
0: returned to sport that makes sense that's terrific information Dr. Hewitt's infographic, Is There Value and Validity for the Use of Return to Sport Test Batteries After Anterior Cruciate Ligament Injury and Reconstruction, was published in the June 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal and can also be found online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Dr. Hewitt, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. That concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Please remember if you enjoy the podcast to give us a five-star review on our podcast device, please join us next time.